0: So the funny thing about this Trader Joe's experience is I ended up going twice because I went the first day I was in Lynchburg, which... For those of you who don't know, it is four hours away from Baltimore. I drove four hours to do a 15-minute test.
1: Yeah, because really, like, <laughs> Vir- Virginia is 45 minutes from yeah. Baltimore, mm-hmm. but not all of Virginia. Not all of Virginia.
0: <laughs> um, but it's okay. I made lemons into wine this week, and I stopped at a Trader Joe's, and I got all this wine. And the first day I was like, oh, I'm just going to like check it out. You know, I'm just going to like see the vibe. And I went in and I couldn't believe how cheap it was, but I didn't have a, they don't have baskets anymore in Trader Joe's. So i had, but I didn't want to get a cart because of COVID. They don't have baskets or yeah, just in general. Of COVID. Okay. Um, so I <laughs> just got like three bottles, like, which is as much as I could carry. Um, and I got those and then I went back today and got 11 more. <laughs> Um, in a a car because the deals are just so darn good so if you know of a state nearby because Maryland doesn't sell wine in their Trader Joe's we don't sell them in any Any grocery grocery stores or convenience stores you
1: have to have a separate liquor store or
0: be a bar with a liquor store license yeah it's so inconvenient because also in Maryland you can't buy it on Sundays unless it's unless it's connected to a bar which is it's so hard getting alcohol here it's so frustrating I mean I had to drive three hours away to get it um, so, <laughs> but it was so worthwhile. I got so much wine and beer and champagne and it was so great. So I'm just going to say Virginia, fuck you. Because all I saw was Trump signs going down there. But <laughs> bless you for your Trader Joe's. That's great. Um, um a little, <laughs> this is horrible, but a little kid, I'm not
1: going to say in what area slash neighborhood, but like a 14 year old got charges pressed today for spray Painting BLM and, like, fuck Trump
0: on, like, signs. I saw that his, like, parents turned him in or something. Yeah, it's near where I
1: teach, so. (laughs) Uh, Which, vandalism of other people's property, not cool, but your message was right yes you're on the right was. track you are
0: <laughs> um and you know who will be proud of you olive morris um <laughs> oh my
1: gosh and that's who we're here to talk <laughs> about, we're here to
0: talk about. <laughs> today on Street on the rock with katie and ali this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history and maybe vandalism <laughs> sometimes vandalism
1: <laughs> most the time famous yeah. women and we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance mm-hmm. but
0: Just so you know, as you heard before, I got a ton of wine from Trader Joe's, so we are drinking heavily during this podcast.
1: (laughs) I mean, so heavily that we have to have dinner afterwards to sober up. We are safe. Nobody drives home like this. No,
0: nobody drives home the way we are on the podcast. We are super safe about it. I want to make that clear because sometimes I'm not sure if it is, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, so... We're drinking heavily tonight. We have a lovely bottle of wine. We haven't had bonus wine in a long time.
1: I think we have been in summer vibe, which is yes. like we want something cold. And now we're like slowly sinking into fall. Mm-hmm. And you guys can slink, like sink with us right on in. Oh my gosh,
0: absolutely. Because we post these recipes for these cocktails every week. And then you can also have bonus wine while you listen. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, but you're busy. You're so busy. You're getting
1: a tattoo right now. <laughs> And you're sitting in the chair, and it's on your forearm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then your other forearm, you are... Uh, not allowed to, like, move around because you don't want to get COVID. Yeah. You don't want to, like, touch a whole bunch of stuff, so you're just kind of, like,
0: sitting on your hand. And-, and your phone is just a germ magnet, so you don't right. want to be throwing it in the tattoo artist's face. Yeah. So, so-, so you can't Google these women right now. No, you can't. But we want you to have a nice mental picture in your head when we're telling the story. So we're going to describe what these women look like. We are going to get a little... Physical!
1: Physical!
0: Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like?
1: I am doing Flotus number two, <laughs> Abigail Adams. Flotus the sequel. <laughs> Flotus Jr. <laughs> um, but they weren't called first ladies back then, but that's okay. Um, Abigail Adams was 5'1", which is really good because John Adams was only
0: 5'4". Really? Have you ever
1: been to Madame Tussauds in D.C.? No. Okay, well, like... I've they... never been to
0: any wax museum. Okay,
1: the one in D.C. has all of our presidents, oh. and they're, like, the correct proportions and like i am tall i'm five three five four and i'm taller than john adams wow so the fact that abigail's little um matches up I guess it doesn't matter if you marry somebody shorter or taller than you who cares I just I don't know why I brought that up okay she's 5'1 with brown hair and brown eyes she has a pale complexion even though she's a small person it kind of seems from her portraits like she had broad shoulders Mm. and she would pull her hair straight back with no part and then tie it at the base of her neck it seems like when she was younger she liked to wear pearl chokers and then later on it became more fluffy and like lacy like big dresses more formal wear um her face was a bit of an oval but her eyebrows and the bridge of her nose just like very smoothly like sweep into Mm. a long nose that's like bottomed with thin lips now the first official portrait of her is when her and John were young and they were like traveling and it's actually really cute and playful. She's like sitting on a chair, but she's not sitting like you would picture a first lady. She's slouching Hmm. and she's like, her eyes are kind of playful and it just, it gives me a real vibe of like, I would want to be her friend. Yeah. So that is what Abigail Adams looks like.
0: (laughs) What does your person look like and who are you doing? Okay. So I am doing Olive Morris, Uh, she was a woman with a very powerful presence. She had dark skin, kind of a long oval face with these half moon shaped eyes and an afro which varied in heights over the years. She was often seen wearing kind of like loose men's clothing. Um, And I think I saw one thing that said she was like around 5'10". So pretty average height. um, I was going
1: to be like so tall. (laughs) (laughs) 5'10".
0: Because I think I'm 5'10".
1: Uh, because I would call you tall.
0: Really? Yeah. I feel like I'm a very average height, maybe like a little tall. Um, but I also don't know cause I feel like all of my classroom portraits when I was young, like really skewed me cause I was tall for my age when I was a kid. Yeah. So I was always, right. I was always put in the back with the boys, which was traumatizing. Well, and I also uh- <laughs> think that like
1: your three brothers are tall. So maybe I just yeah. picture you as tall. Yeah.
0: It might be that. Um, but yeah, nothing feels worse when you're in third grade and you're constantly being told to get in the back because you look like a boy. (laughs) Uh, that sounds (laughs) traumatizing and we should Uh, unpack that later. Maybe. Um, (laughs) uh, but she has these really strong arms, which I love. And there's this one great picture where she's seen in this super cute, like sixties, like mini skirt with a tank top and she's holding a bullhorn. She has these kick-ass sunglasses on just like in mid-protest and just like she just looks so like strong and in control um but unfortunately one of the most viewed pictures of her is not a very accurate accurate picture of her because it was taken after she was arrested and her face is extremely swollen due to being assaulted by police so just a little heads up that's where this story is going okay yeah uh That sucks when your most
1: famous picture is one that's not quite like you.
0: Yeah, because I was looking at pictures of her and I was like, she looks so different in all these. And then I was reading an article about this incident and like I was like, oh, they kept talking about this picture of her that when her face is swollen after getting beaten up. And I was like. Oh my god, that's that picture. Like that's why that one looks so different. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to learn more. So, um,
0: you want to tell me about what I'm drinking? I do. Um, so this is called a Space for Us. Um, it is equal parts Pimm's liqueur and spiced rum, and then you add slices of orange and lime and then you top the whole thing off with ginger beer and it's served on the rocks. Um, so Pim's is like a very British like liqueur and uh, but like spiced rum and lime is very Jamaican. And so I wanted to kind of fuse her two cultures in one cocktail. So awesome. Cheers. Cheers
1: very good yeah, I like this a lot um and the ginger beer you can almost not even
0: taste it it doesn't taste very soda-y no because the glass gets so full that you really only top it with it because sometimes you know I didn't want it to be a drink where it's like half a can of ginger beer in mm-hmm. here um I just wanted it to be like a splash so it's just just a little just, ginger beer just a little bit <laughs> just a little taste. um so what do you know about Olive Morris
1: so, I'm pretty sure she's an activist, um, a black activist, mm-hmm. not from the United States. Mm-hmm. And was she at all a musician, maybe? Mm-mm. No. Okay. The, a poet? No. No.
0: <laughs> so She was just an activist. Okay.
1: I was thinking an artist activist, Mm-mm. but that's how I always pictured Olive Morris, I no. guess, as like an artist turned activist. But that's even cooler that mm-hmm. she's just an activist. So, let's... Dig deep because I don't know her story. Okay,
0: perfect. So um, to be honest, there's not a lot on her. Um, I got a lot of this from like some online articles from the New York Times, the website Black Past, and the website Faucet, um, and of course Wikipedia. But there just isn't a lot of detail on her life, um, but she did a lot. So nothing is going to go in too great a detail, but we're going to get a lot of context as to what was going on like Racially and politically in the u k at the time, which, which I is think is very interesting really interesting is I learned so much because of course, we always you know we have a very like u s focused um like look at like racial inequality, and so it was really interesting getting to kind of step out of that for a second and like go into what it means for black people in Great Britain, you know and like the struggle that they've gone through,
1: yeah, I love that I think um I think we definitely have a very like egocentric mindset in the United yeah. States forgetting that other people have been here longer and have more issues and mm-hmm. we should
0: probably look at them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Olive Morris was born. Oh, I'm sorry. And I want to thank, um, <laughs> Oh yeah. Who recommended Sophia this? Graf. Sophia Graff. Sophia Graff. Thank you for recommending Olive. I hope I do her justice. Um, she just, it was a part of so many cool things. So Sophia, Thank you so much for this recommendation. And again, Sophia is our Spanish
1: interpreter and lives in the UK. So she is recommending people
0: from where she lives. And we want you guys to recommend people from where you live. Absolutely. We don't know all the people. We don't. And I never heard of Olive Morris. So this is very exciting. So... Olive Morris was born on June 26, 1952, in St. Catherine, Jamaica, to Doris Lowena and Vincent Morris. She had three brothers and two sisters, and they lived kind of a quiet life in Jamaica um, until her parents left the family to move to the UK. Um, so the kids are all left behind with the grandmother, but the parents are going and they are preparing a house for them. Um, so... She, at the age of nine years old, finally makes it over to Great Britain, and her and her siblings and her family become a part of what would be known as the Windrush Generation. Have you ever heard of this? I
1: don't even know what that is. Okay.
0: So, I didn't know anything about it either. I was like, the what? And apparently, there are like museums dedicated to this. It's insane. Who am I even? I know. So... Apparently, after World War Two ended, the British government was not doing so hot and their population was super down because so many people died in the war um, and they needed to fill their labor, labor market and boost their economy. So they were like, hmm, well, with all that raping and pillaging we've been doing over the past couple of hundred years, we kind of have a booming population But in these other places like their colonies. Yeah. Their colonies. So they were like, why don't we encourage people from those economy, you know, those countries, those colonies to come here and live in the motherland. Oh, and sorry. Also, (laughs) I don't know if
1: our verbiage is off. I don't know the difference between a colony and a commonwealth. There's a big difference. But I think like because Australia technically is still a commonwealth, right? Doesn't the queen sit on their Senate or something? Did colonies turn into Commonwealth after they became countries? Maybe. I know there's a difference, but I don't know what it is. So I'm just telling people either. we're going
0: to say whatever the hell we want. Yeah. and we're sorry. So we are sorry because <laughs> I didn't even think to <laughs> check in on that. Yeah, um, it's OK.
1: I'm just saying it so people don't get mad online.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so. They passed the British Nationality Act in 1948, which gave citizenship to all people living in the United Kingdom and its colonies. And it gave them the right of entry and settlement in the UK. So it's basically like, hey, we'd love it for you to come over. You're an automatic citizen. So like you don't have to jump through any hoops when you get here. So they start these marketing campaigns. Wouldn't it be nice (laughs) (laughs) if they weren't racist? Um, Because surprise, surprise, that's where this is heading. Um, So it seems amazing. And they start these marketing campaigns and they're like, come to the UK. Come live a better life. Come like we have all these jobs available and people And these British colonies start coming over thinking this is going to be this amazing new start for them. And on June 22nd, 1948, the HMS Windrush brought hundreds of people from the West Indies to Great Britain. Um, And of course, even though the government asked them to come, the local people of Great Britain did not like this one bit. And they were routinely denied these jobs that they were promised uh they were denied housing because of their race and they were often attacked in the streets and not helped by authorities reverse reverse (laughs) una card reverse um so yeah so they think that they are like helping out great britain which they are and they come into this situation and they're like oh no people don't want us here And the government is not actually going to help them thrive. So they're in a really shitty situation.
1: I am so dismayed right now already.
0: And it's such an interesting moment in history that I've literally never heard of. And it was like the Windrush generation kind of also, it's not just those people that came on that one boat. It kind of encompasses all these people, you know? And they're all kind of labeled as the Windrush generation. Kind of like, oh, we have the baby boomers. Like yeah, right exactly. After the and there's actually, there's, I watched a video on a couple, like, it was like three different stories from people who, you know, descended from these people. And there was one guy who, he was so cool because he was like, yeah, there's my dad being interviewed about, you know, coming over from Jamaica, like in this old school, like video from it. And like, he was like, there's his portrait. And his son went on to be this incredible Broadway. I don't want to say Broadway because it's in London, London, West End, West End actor. And he was like, there's my dad. And he came over in this Windrush generation. They were treated so terribly and he experienced so much racism, my family and I. And then cut 2 I'm an adult man playing, you know, Mr. Potts or whatever in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and I have like two white children and I am a black man and he was like we've come so far and like there's still a ways to go but he was like my dad would just be like so proud of me for like flipping this shit on its head and like just succeeding despite people obviously not wanting him to.
1: It's really cool to hear stories like that because there is still so much tragedy for mm-hmm. like people of color all over the world, but it's really nice when you get to
0: hear those few people who slipped through the cracks. Yeah. And like he's this famous actor in Great Britain who yeah. is on stage all the time and he also speaks out all the time on like don't forget I was a part of the generation like our parents were fighting each other. No matter how you want to paint it, you know, people were not okay with my family coming here. You know what I'm saying? It's like a really cool thing. So anyways, this is the Great Britain that Olive found herself in. They lived in an area called Lavender Hill. She attended several schools over the years. But when she was 16, she decided to leave without finishing high school. Um, I think, frankly, she was just kind of sick of the blatant racism that she often found herself experiencing. And the school and the society just was not gonna, like school wasn't going to help her with that problem. She right. was like, a degree is not going to give me like a better chance of surviving right now. So like, fuck that. <laughs> um, and of course I don't really know what exactly happened, but like, that's kind of what I was gathering from the sources. Cause like, again, there's not a ton of information on her early years. Um, and then in 1969, She's 17 and she gets wrapped up in a horrible racist conflict, which ends up like all over the news. So on November 15th, 1969, a black man named Clement Gomwalk parked his Mercedes on Atlantic Road in Brixton, leaving his wife and children in the car while he popped into a record store to buy something. And Olive and her friends are hanging out in this record store. So she is right there. He comes out. The police approach him in a very aggressive manner, asking him, where do you get the car? Whose car is this? And he's like, it's my car. And they're like, that's impossible. This is a Mercedes. It's very expensive. So they're
1: assuming that he stole it because he's black and has an expensive
0: car. Yes. Okay. That is the exact situation. Um, And they're like, well, show us your proof. And he was like, I don't have to show you anything. This is my car. And he goes to get in. And there are some very differing like accounts of this because it was insane but basically they go and they beat him they handcuff him they arrest him meanwhile they don't realize that this man they're arresting is a diplomat from nigeria <gasps> so no! that's why he has a nice car and that's why he was like i don't care like no i don't need to prove anything to you i have diplomatic immunity don't they have diplomatic plates on cars they do in dc i don't know if they did at this time oh my god You know, so Olive sees this happening.
1: Side racism. (laughs) It's not even on the side. Leighton racism. Um,
0: Main course racism. It is horrible. And the fact, I want to make it clear that, like, it doesn't matter that he ended up being a diplomat. This shouldn't happen to anyone. And we know that cops just use any excuse to pull over black people to, like, harass them. So, right. I just like, "Mm, and some of it
1: could be implicit bias, but that doesn't make it okay. No. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to check yourself.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So Olive sees this happening and she runs out to help this guy. But when she tried to get the police to stop attacking this innocent man, they turn on her, brutally attacking her, punching her in the face and they like get her on the ground and they start kicking her in the chest. Like, full-grown men. Full-grown men. Teenage girl. She's 17. Oh,
1: my God. They're kicking her
0: in the chest. She recalls her friend being dragged on the ground by police while she shouted, I've done nothing. In total, six people were attacked by police that day, according to one source I read. Mm. Which is unbelievable. Um, Olive ended up being fined 10 pounds and given a three-month suspended sentence for two years. But while she was in jail, she was subject to a brutal strip, sh- um, strip search where the guards forced her to take off her clothes and threatened to rape her while she was taking off her clothes because the whole reason they did this to her was because she was wearing loose-fitting clothes and she had short hair. So they're like, well, we just want to make sure you're a girl.
1: I-, I mean, the the two levels of just, like, racism and, like, male brutality towards women that are happening right now is horrendous and she's a teenager yeah who has done nothing wrong and absolutely except for maybe had bo because that's how teenagers are
0: (laughs) (laughs) the worst crime (laughs) um but but yeah so this is just this horrific incident and her brother recalls that like when he went to pick her up at the police station her face was so badly beaten that he barely recognized her his own sister and that's the picture we have of her we have a picture of her after this event and like it's one of those things like when you look at the photo it's almost like you're like oh that's just how she looks because like because it's kind of like a black and white photo mm-hmm. it's kind of taken quickly it's kind of washed out but, but like then when you look at other photos you're like oh shit her face is really fucking swollen and like you can and then you notice you're like oh and her her shirt is dirty from being fucking stomped on and like her jackets ripped and like just like and like again when you first look at it it looks like a totally normal photo and then the police are also saying when they're making her strip not only are they threatening to rape her but they're also saying well I guess you know the bruises suit you because that's what color your body should be anyways it's horrible so her official charges would end up being assault on, on the police, threatening behavior and possession of dangerous weapons. I don't know what the fuck dangerous weapons they're talking about. Um but things had been building up for Olive for a long time, but this was different. And after this, she's like I have to do something. So she's recruited into the Black Panthers youth department so she could really have a base for her activism. And she worked with them for a long time, building relationships, leading demonstrations to protest racial inequality. But by 1973, she found herself becoming kind of frustrated with how women were being treated in the Black Panthers. So she decides to form a separate group called the Brixton Black Women's Group. They were a socialist feminist group who looked at Marxist ideology and power structures, specifically through the lens of being a black woman. The overall purpose of the group was to raise consciousness so the women like could in the group could communicate with each other and talk about their daily lives. And through talking about just their daily lives, they could put it into a larger political framework. Like, this happened to me at the grocery store today. Like, what does that say about how our society is formed somebody asked
1: me to smile again yeah (laughs) exactly hey that has stopped since we've been wearing masks which is wonderful it's very nice
0: but no
1: yeah it's exactly like what we talked about with Rosa Parks last week where she was feeling like hey listen I'm part of the NAACP but I'm like a limited woman in the NAACP and like I feel like there needs to be more female representation
0: here it's a double whammy yeah it absolutely is and she catches on to that immediately and she's like we need a separate space this is not okay teenagers can be so smart they're so smart and so and that's kind of and we'll go she creates all these amazing spaces and that's why i named this cocktail a space for us because she was constantly seeing a need for people to communicate and she was Creating that medium for them, mm. she was like okay you're feeling marginalized, and you're not feeling safe in this space, like okay, what do we have to do to like make you feel comfortable with opening up and talking about your experience and really diving into what the hell's going on <laughs> So first, this group met in just like members' homes, but eventually they found a permanent home in a building they called the Mary Seacole house. In honor of British Jamaican nurse and businesswoman, Mary Seacole, she is fascinating and she's on our list. So we will definitely cover her in a future episode. Um, but she starts this group. And as the years go on, she also starts to feel a kinship with other women who have been othered in British society. And she's like, well, we should start another group. To incorporate other women of color and like to get their experience, too, because it's not just us. Other people are experiencing racism. So she forms the Organization of Women of African and Asian Descent. So one of the main things that they protested, which I had never heard of again, were the mandatory virginity tests for Asian women coming into the United Kingdom or Great Britain. I don't know.
1: That's, I mean, that's garbage. Um, Have you ever heard of this? I I haven't heard of that test. I think we did talk about the United States not wanting Asian immigrant females because they were worried about
0: sluttiness. Yeah, they're basically like, well, we don't want, like, prostitutes coming in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But I have never heard of this specific instance,
0: no. Okay. So, basically, women emigrating to the UK to be with their fiancés or, like, something, whatever, whatever situation was, They basically had three months to get married or like, you know, get their visa or whatever. So, but the British government is worried that... If
1: you don't kiss him before the third (laughs) (laughs) sundown.
0: And so the British government is worried because they're like, well, what if prostitutes are coming over? And what if women who are already married are coming over. Like, what the we're just gonna let these women waltz into our country? Just let them wander Um, around. I know. And they're like, they're slipping through the cracks. So because people fetishize and over exotify Asian women, they were subject to intense virginity tests, which one author akins to rape. And this test was done in order to prove that they were in fact Not married or a sex worker upon entering the country. And again, like, I prefer to use the term sex worker. I'm using prostitute to, like, (laughs) frame it as in, like, they are being ridiculous right now. You're, like, showing the story as it was at that time. Yes, exactly. So this is, like, a
1: gynecological exam Mm -hmm. that
0: is overly intrusive. Overly intrusive. They get an intrusive exam from a doctor. And they also get x-rayed. They, uh, Does that even I, help? Mm, I don't know, Allie. I literally could not answer that. We need a doctor. We need a doctor. <laughs> is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> That's not terrible. <laughs> um, no, there were no doctors in the house that were not terrible around mm. this time. And some reports say that this happened to around 80 women in the late 70s. Oh, man. Mostly women coming from India. Um, that surprises
1: me. I would have thought Eastern Asia. Well, India, oh, colony. Is, colony. A colony. Co- India commonwealth. is a commonwealth,
0: commonwealth? or whatever, colony? whatever it One is. One of the two. So... There's a better through line for women coming from India. I see. So they were coming over in greater numbers than other women. It happened to a lot of women, but it, there's a very large Indian population in Great Britain. Okay, cool. Um, So Olive and her group were among some of the earliest people standing up for these women. They were like, that's not fucking okay. And so Olive is on the front lines being like, we can't just stand up for us. We have to stand up for all women who are othered and oppressed. So because if your feminism is not inclusive, <laughs> fuck, your feminism. fuck your feminism. So she organizes a, a sit in at Heathrow airport to protest their treatment. And they end up like very quickly, like shutting that shit down. <laughs> and so that's a win for her. Um, She, and like, Olive even traveled to China to see how they were building a socialist country. So she's like a very like worldly person. And she's very interested in like Asian women's experience. Like she just wants to be constantly learning, which I think is such a positive trait. Um, But another really important social issue for Olive was squatting and housing rights. So she actively trained people how to occupy unused spaces so they could have places to live and sleep. And she even wrote a few pamphlets to help people find the right places and, uh, you know, places to avoid getting kicked out or arrested. And in fact, one of these pamphlets has a fantastic picture of her climbing up like the side of a building to get into it. In 1973, she squatted at 121 Relton Road in Brixton with her friend Liz and this squat actually became a hub of political activism. And they hosted community groups such as Black People Against State Harassment. And the building also ended up becoming the site of Sabar Bookshop, one of the first Black community-owned bookshops in Great Britain. Incredible. So cool. Because she wanted to show people that it was possible and like to use unused spaces and for like good things to come of it. Because these aren't, like, people's houses or whatever that, like, they're just on vacation. Like, I think that's what people think of as, like, squatting. Like, it's a house for sale and someone's squatting. And, like, no, these are buildings that have been abandoned for years and are not being used. And, like, there are – and we're going to get into it. But there are all these homeless people that are, like, I'd love to have a roof over my head. And it's, like, why can't they fucking use that space? just walk in yeah so she is really into getting people access to these spaces um this site subsequently became an anarchist project known as the 121 center which existed until everybody got evicted because the building probably sold in 1999 so from 1973 to 1999 they were squatting and using it which, that's a
1: huge time Isn't rate. that, like, over 20 years? Yeah, well, I think, I, right? I feel like they should have property rights at that point.
0: They should absolutely have squatters' rights at that point. That's unbelievable. And they actually turned it into something that was, like, making money, like, and helping the community. So... A lot of people, and that's, the the thing about squatting is a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings on the subject, um, but I also want to remind you that in Great Britain at this time, there were a lot of homeless people. Mm. In the late 70s, when she's doing this work, there were an estimated 50,000 squatters throughout Britain, with the majority around 30,000 living in London. Well, the United Kingdom is not a big country. It's very small, so that is a huge number for a small country, like... I feel like that would be a lot in the U.S. and yeah. like we're ginormous. We got gorges everywhere. Um, we got two mountains. they small. <laughs> and I mean, some people see squatting as a symptom. Others see it as just this problem that needs to be eradicated. But Olive saw it as a social movement. She was like, "We can actually use these spaces to teach people and also show that like." everyone deserves some type of housing. Um, And a part of the social movement for her was also fighting for people's rights who currently lived in public housing. So she was one of the loudest voices at a protest against the conditions in the public housing buildings after two children died in a fire because unsafe heaters were put into the unit because the fucking landlords didn't want to put in a decent heating system, like expensive heating they didn't want
1: to spend money on people that they
0: didn't think were human yeah and the building burned down and these children died yeah and so she is at these fucking protests she is like not only do i think that people should be able to use unused space but i also feel like the space that they are currently occupied in should be decent and not like a fire hazard so according to a new york times article One of the reasons that these like 30,000 people or so in London were still squatting was because many of them were on wait lists to get into a spot in one of these dangerous buildings. So like there's a huge wait list for public housing. People are hoping to get at least something like this. And a lot of people whose
1: ancestors were begged to come to Britain to help them out to fill jobs, right? Yeah. And we'll
0: we'll cover that in a second. Oh, (laughs) shit. Actually, right now. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I had to turn the page. Listen Um, to my
1: great transitions.
0: And these types of issues are far from being over because to bring it back to Olive's roots, in the year 2012, Theresa May enacted the hostile environment policy, which forced landlords and employees of the National Health Service to demand proof of citizenship before helping or renting to people. This is a huge problem for people of the Windrush generation because the government never gave them any sort of paperwork, which explained their legal status. So it just said, they said, we'll make you
1: immediately citizens, but then they never got documentation. So mm-hmm. therefore their children
0: and grandchildren have no proof. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So this meant that in 2012, a lot of immigrant families were now being threatened with eviction and having their public resources taken away people who are born and raised in the country yeah and people that came over on an invitation and who were told you're legal citizens just because the government failed to issue them the right paperwork decades before. Listen,
1: my snowball stand can give me a punch card. It's come on, unbelievable. Come on. And
0: Theresa May did not get away with this. She received a ton of criticism for this policy and eventually I think she did rescind it um, and she made an official apology to the people it affected. But it just still goes to show you that Racist structures really never go away. They just morph and reappear in different ways over time, especially if we don't have people like Olive Morris fighting against them. So back to Olive. In the 70s, while she's doing all of this incredible organizing, she's also going back to school, and she ends up getting a degree from Manchester University in social science while also co-founding some more groups uh, like the Manchester Black Women's Cooperative and the Black Women's Mutual Aid Group. Just another couple little side projects. And she's also traveling extensively. So I talked earlier about her trip to China. She's also going to Hong Kong, Morocco, Algeria, and France just to get new experiences and meet other people like her in these places and, like, talk to other, like, it's just incredible what she's doing. It's really cool. But it was on a trip to Spain in 1978 uh, that Olive felt that something was off. She goes home, she goes to the doctors, and she is diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, my. She continued to press on for the next year despite this grave cancer diagnosis. But on July 12th, 1979, Olive Morris passed away at the age of 27.
1: Oh, my God. This is all before she's 30? Mm Mm-hmm. Katie, that is heartbreaking. I know. I just got chills. 27.
0: Thankfully though, Olive's legacy lives on. The Brixton Service Center located at 18 Brixton Hill was created in 1986. And initially named the Olive Morris House, which was a huge deal. I mean, it was kind of unheard of for buildings to be named after black women, let alone a black panther. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, the building, which is now known as the Brixton Service Center, is still like that's what its paper name is. But everyone knows it as the Olive Morris House. And when you go in, there's a plaque with her photograph and a biography of her like her memory isn't lost in this place, which is so great. Um, and since 2009, the Lambeth Archives, located at the Minette Library in South London, has housed the Olive Morris Manuscript Collection. And in 2011, the Olive Morris Memorial Award was created to celebrate young black female activists and is given by the Remember Olive Morris Collective in the U.K., Olive Morris is on many lists, murals, and was even recognized with a Google Doodle in the UK on June 26, 2020 to mark what would have been her 68th birthday, all in an effort to remember her legacy and reflect on all the good she did and all the good she could have done. And that's the story of Olive Morris. What a short story, this poor woman. (sighs) It's one of those things I was super sad because her story could have been so long it but she's just kind so young. I mean, she
1: was born in 1952. She's like very close to our parents' age. Mm-hmm. She could have children and grandchildren at this point and be like flourishing I in know. London and like, or like in the UK, anywhere, and just have such a happy life. And instead, it's like she didn't get to see the fruits of her labor. I think that's yeah. always what annoys me yeah. in stories like that. And
0: cancer's a bitch. That's all. It really is. It's horrible. And I'm just so sad that, yeah. It feels like it kind of reminds me of last week's episode on Remedios Faro, where all of a sudden it's like the story comes to a screeching halt. And then she died. And then she died. And you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, it's horrible and it's shocking. And but she did so much good while she was here. And that's all we can. That's all we can ask for. Seriously. Well, let's go get more drinks. (laughs) Let's get more drinks. We'll be right back with part two. So long. We're back already. Back with new drinks. I still have my first glass of wine because my story was so short, I didn't even get through my glass. (laughs) Well, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm so ready. I don't know anything about Abigail Adams, so I can't wait for this. You've been raving about her for years. I love her. (laughs)
1: She might be in my top two floatuses of all time. Really? I love her. Love her. Very exciting. Um, So do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It looks nice and tall. This cocktail is called... (laughs) For a very short woman. (laughs) (laughs) For a very short woman. Uh, This cocktail is called Remember the Ladies. Mm. And it is a hodgepodge of things. Okay. It is half an ounce of rum, half an ounce of triple sec, half an ounce of coffee liqueur, (laughs) half an ounce of either sour mix or margarita mix, half an ounce of lime juice, and half an ounce of
0: grenadine shaken up in a highball glass. Allie, I'm not gonna lie, I'm terrified of this drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good.
1: Now, we topped it with ginger beer because it didn't fill the whole glass. <laughs> um, but it's not supposed to be made with ginger beer. I should have put it in a smaller cup. Mm
0: very interesting. That coffee liqueur is just coming in at the end. It it's hot, <laughs> hot and heavy. And that's all I want of her. <laughs> this is such a crazy drink. But I do like it. I feel like I'm drinking like a like a weird Long Island Iced Tea. <laughs> it's a very weird. It's a lot of alcohol all in one place, which is exactly what a Long
1: Island Iced Tea is. Yep. So this was recommended by Meg Twenty Five, <laughs> <laughs> who is M E E E G Twenty Five, Meg, Meg, <laughs> under my Meg. <laughs> um, however, I think you guys need to understand something. So, for the last two seasons, I have put Abigail Adams on the list and said I really want to do Abigail Adams and then something happened and we had to bump her so I know last season it was because Hamilton was coming out so I switched her with Eliza mm-hmm. Hamilton um, and the season before that I can't even remember who we bumped her for I don't
0: know but this has been a long it's been a, quite a reckoning for Abigail Adams I've been
1: begging <laughs> for this so the fact Meg that you, Meg Egg 25 <laughs> The fact that you suggested this is very important to me. And as soon as I saw it on the list, I was like, told you, Katie.
0: (laughs) And people like Abigail Adams. Katie
1: was like, I never said people did (laughs) it. I was like attacking her for no
0: reason. It was a beautiful sister-in-law moment. It was. Um. So what do you know about Abigail Adams? I know that I frequently get her confused with Dolly Madison and I'm like, oh yeah, she like rescued that portrait from the thing. Dolly and Madison? That's not true. Well, the hostess with the mostess. We'll Do- get to her. <laughs> Do- well, and I will correct myself even just here. Dolly Madison ordered a slave to save the portrait of George Washington. I um- <laughs> but I always think that she's Dolly Madison, so frankly, I don't know I know that she was John Adams' wife. She was the second first lady. And that's all I know because, frankly, I just, I don't know. I always think she's someone else. So I'm super excited to learn what she actually did and not what she didn't do. <laughs>
1: Um, so this is going to be a little bit of a long story, but I'm going to rush through it because okay. I know a lot of the stuff in the revolution we've already touched on this season. So it's like, if this is your first time listening oh, yeah. and I skip over something, please go back. We talked about Agent 355. We talked about Peggy Shippen last season. We talked about Eliza Hamilton. So like there's a lot of episodes you can listen to about this.
0: I feel like at the beginning of last season, we were so entrenched in World War II and then from the End of last season to now. We've been so into the Revolutionary War. It's Uh, just the way it is. (laughs) Just the way it is. Uh, Civil War? Don't care. Um, Just kidding. I do care. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we did do one from the Civil War, so we'll do more. Yeah,
1: we will. Okay. So, obviously, the History Chicks did an episode on her, but... I honestly I'm I'm a big fan of the history checks, but they talked more about John Adams than her. Mm. And I was a little thrown by that. And yeah. then there's a really cute podcast called the Floatus Podcast that actually Ooh. only started in 2020, and she's doing all of them in order. That's so cool. And it's only well like thankfully half she's an number hour. two, so I know, she's <laughs> done already. Um, and then uh, there was in 2008, an HBO miniseries came out on the Adamses, and it's only like eight episodes, and it is so good okay it is so good so if you are like into any sort of drama in early america that's your show early promo Hmm. so abigail adams is a sag (laughs) she was born (laughs) (laughs) on november 22nd 1744
0: the day before your birthday Uh that's so crazy i love her
1: white girl brown hair (laughs) (laughs) but she was born at the north parish congressional church in Massachusetts which should already tell you a little bit about her because if you were born in Massachusetts in the 1700s you were descended from Puritans okay and people who murdered witches gotcha she's got her white starched collar
0: and really does buckle on her hat
1: and the guy who wrote
0: scarlet letter Nathaniel Hawthorne. Hawthorne. <laughs> Hawthorne enough. And if you would like to hear us <laughs> drunkenly talk about the Scarlet Letter, please go back to our roundtable with Allie's sister. From season Marjorie. two. <laughs> okay. So
1: her dad was William Smith. And her mom was Elizabeth Quincy. And the Quincy's were a well-known political family in the Massachusetts colony. Her grandfather was the speaker for the Massachusetts Assembly for 40 years. And her dad was a minister, which
0: was a highly respected job at the time. Can I ask a question really quick? Yeah. Isn't his name John Quincy Adams, her future husband?
1: No, that's her son. She was the wife of a president and the mother. Only her and Barbara Bush are the only two that have done that. That's bananas. Isn't okay. that crazy? They don't know
0: why I didn't realize it that. It
1: elevates them to super matriarchs in our society. I think the both of those women, um, other than them, Eleanor Roosevelt is the only person who has two familial relations to a president. Wild.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I just wanted to clarify that because yeah. that name struck a chord with yes, me. Yes, there's
1: John Adams and John Quincy Adams, similar to George Bush and George W. Bush. Okay.
0: So okay. did she give him her like mother's maiden name as a middle name. Yes. That's really fucking cool. It's very cool. I love it. So her dad is a minister, which is a highly respected job at the time,
1: but he didn't focus his sermons on piety and original sin. Like a lot of people did. He focused on the topic of logic in morality. Her grandfather had actually founded the Old Ship Church in Massachusetts, which is today the only remaining Puritan meeting house wow. in Massachusetts. When her mom and dad married, they had four children, one boy and three girls. Abigail was the second oldest, and they called Always her... Always number two. Always. Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they called her Nabby. That was her nickname. Nabby. Not Abby, but Nabby. That's so cute. It is cute. <laughs> As many of her ancestors, Abigail did not receive receive formal schooling because she was a girl and she was raised like a girl. So she was taught to read and write and do some sums, you know, for household work. But that all stopped for girls at the age of eight. They just had to know enough to be the mistress of a household. Later in life, she would say that she did not receive an education because she was a girl and girls were deprived of an education. Hmm. Fortunately... Her father, uncle, and grandfather openly allowed Abigail, Nabby, into their large libraries. This allowed she and her sisters to study English and French literature. She would read with her friends, and she was really self-motivated to learn more and more and more, making her very knowledgeable and formidable in conversation. I feel like
0: that is such a common thread of like, well, we can't send you to school, But here's a bunch of books. So, like, the scene where Belle gets put into the library Mm -hmm. of the Beast Castle, that is very accurate of a lot of these women. It's like, I just want access to a library because girls just want to read books. Literally. All the time. That's all they want to do. And
1: they're reading books, like, well above their reading level just to see words on a page. It is... Just I think it's some sort of knowledge. It's a testament to education and but how important it is. It really is. Um, so her dad actually spent a lot of time with her in these libraries, and he would discuss with her and her two other sisters, and obviously their brother, um, but he could go to formal schooling. And he taught the girls about theology and history, which was very strange for women at the time. Abigail was argumentative as a child, and she always wanted the last word. And her uncle was quoted by many people as saying at dinner one night, "Nabby, you will either be a very good woman or a very bad one. <laughs> he could not handle her. <laughs> so Puritan parents taught you the value of work very, very young. Although her family did have two slaves that worked for them in later life. Abigail became a staunch abolitionist. Mm. Abigail first met John when she was 15 years old, another reason I love her, in 1759. John accompanied his friend, Richard, who was engaged to Abigail's older sister, to their house. So he's kind of like the chaperone for, like, the pairing. It was not love at first sight between John and Abby, they're teenagers, and, um, Brooks Proximity brought them closer together. He became attracted to Abigail because she was spunky. <laughs> and Richard, he saw, you know, the soon to be brother in law bringing Abby books. So then John started bringing Abby books. And he said he admired a find mind wherever he could find it.
0: Oh my God. So he
1: was like ready to like spar with her.
0: I also lo- like sometimes, like when you're telling a story, I'd be like, Mm, that also would have been a good name for the cocktail. A fine mind. It <laughs> would have been, but don't worry, because that name's
1: coming up. <laughs> uh, it's her most famous thing, but we'll get there. <laughs> Abigail's parents did not 100% approve of the pairing because they didn't want their daughter to marry a country lawyer boy. So this is very weird. <laughs> so ministers were highly respected in Massachusetts. And John had graduated from Harvard, which wasn't good enough. Oh, at the time it oh was like gosh. a brand new school, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it meant nothing to the people of Massachusetts.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean that Montessori school down the street? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, excuse that...
1: <laughs> me, do
0: they even have accredited professors? Mm-hmm. Those no. walls don't have IV yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's no
1: ivory towers. So I just, it's very funny to me because it's like the lawyer was less than the minister to this Puritan That's Massachusetts so family. Before they were married, she and John roamed the countryside together they're a very modern couple they she even went on an overnight visit with him to watch him do a trial like alone and that did not happen back then scandalous but it happened with them and he references their letters we have all of them (gasps) there are thousands of letters between these two that you can read online. You can have them read to you on podcasts. They're so beautiful and they're so cute. And he always wrote super cute things to her. Like he was like, well, it's good that I can't see you today because you know, I'm like a magnet in your metal and I just like, I can't be with you right now. And oh my he referenced snuggling with her under blankets and they were like super flirty before they were married, which is so real. And we don't get that of a lot of people back then.
0: No, we don't. Because I think sometimes people don't think that it existed at all. And it's like, oh, it did. We just don't have a lot of proof of it because those people's letters didn't make it.
1: Right. Right. And the reason that these ones made it is because they signed everything with pen names. They didn't want anyone to know that it was them. So she signed all of her letters, Diana, which was the goddess of the wild and the hunt like Artemis. And he signed all of his letters, Lysander, who was the Spartan admiral. Oh, my God. So as teenagers, they're writing letters back and forth with that these cute pen name. names. That's so, so, so funny. cute. So they could be anonymous. Or anonymous. (laughs) Alabama. Anonymous. (laughs) They could be. (laughs) I knew it right when I said it. They could be anonymous just like being on the internet.
0: The internet. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who flirts with Greek mythology, I'm down for you. (laughs) No, absolutely. That is, that's just so cute. And just on a whole nother level. It's modern cute too. Yeah, it is. So her
1: parents did eventually give in to the marriage. Um, The Puritan average age was 22, which seems old to us. Um, But that was... They considered Abby Nabby too young to get married. At 22? No, no, no. That's the average age. She was 19. She's 19. Okay. And they were like... I don't think you're ready. But at 19, they let her get married to John Adams. Her dad performed the ceremony, of course. Ellie, this is literally your story. I know. <laughs> it's why I love her so much. <laughs> so much. Okay. John and Abigail married October 25th, 1764. I know. Two I know. Days after- that's Paige's birthday. I know. That's Paige's birthday. It's incredible. Two days after my birthday. I know. After the ceremony... Like I said, which her father completed, there was a reception and then the couple mounted a horse and they went to their new house, which was a small house with a farm. And it was like a salt box house in like Braintree, Massachusetts, which is at that point right outside of Boston. But Today it's like in Boston. It's like Boston <laughs> central. But back then it was hard to get back and forth uh-huh. because of the distance. Um, <laughs> An example of their normalness is right after they got married, she got kind of sick. So he had to go off and like go to the house and attempt to like hire a servant. John never had slaves ever. John was very anti-slaves and we're going to get into that. Um, But he met the servant and talked to her and he writes a letter to Abigail and he's like, I met the girl and blah, blah, blah. And she writes back (laughs) very snarkily what are you doing talking about
0: girls? (laughs) She knew it was the maid and she didn't care. She was just going to say it to be spunky. Oh my goodness. I love it. Stirring up trouble. (laughs) She is being a drama queen. And it was great. I did that last week. I do it all the time. (laughs) I found a pair of sunglasses on our couch and I was so mad at fiance because I was like, you're cheating on me. And then I was like so mad. And I'm like, doing the whole time we're watching house hunters international and then i realized halfway through i'm like oh these are olivia our sister-in-law <laughs> sunglasses sister she <laughs> lost these the first week we moved into this house <laughs> like this is
1: listen sometimes you have to <laughs> accuse boys of things to keep them on their toes <laughs> keep
0: them on their toes know you're watching every bobby pin that comes in and out of every that house. <laughs> golden bobby pin <laughs>
1: that's a deep cut so
0: in 12 years, Abigail
1: gave birth to six children. Woo. She also gave birth only eight and a half months after they got married. So there might have been some hanky-panky. Under <laughs> those blankets. Bam, bam, the magnet <laughs> to that metal. <laughs> so her first kid was surprised, named Abigail.
0: <laughs> oh, it was a girl. Okay. Junior. Abigail, AJ. Their
1: second kid is John Quincy
0: There we go.
1: And then there is Grace, Susanna, Charles, Thomas, and Elizabeth, who sadly was stillborn. The popular child-rearing style of this time, which this speaks to mommy guilt for everybody who's listening, was you don't teach your kids through punishment, but you lead by example of a pious life, which left any problems with the children squarely on the shoulders of the mother's virtue. So if your kid is messed up, it means that you did not set a good example and you're a bad person. Which sucks. Okay. As it turns out, women actually at this point had the cultural insignificance to be more anti-British than the men. Abigail had a few friends that were girls that she corresponded with regularly. Catherine McCulley um, wrote her many anti British letters, and Mercy Otis Ryan wrote as well. Abigail admired and respected these women as friends and their knowledge, but she was not as brazen as these women. And I just think that her friendships passed the Bechdel test. They were writing about political situations. And that was really cool because we have all of her letters with these other, her, her like little triplet of friends, specifically Mercy, who she's really close with. We also see her letters to John, which yes, were fun and playful, but also were sincere. And he asked her for a lot of advice and trusted everything she said. John, though, started to focus on his career because he did have to make money and go back and forth between Boston and Braintree. Abigail was alone a lot, and she's housekeeping on a farm. She's sewing, livestock, cooking, cleaning, writing to Boston so they send her sugar and meat and candles. Um... And at this time, no self-respecting woman would let their servants do something that they couldn't do. It was like a type of manager in a restaurant thing. Like, I've worked front of the house, back of the house. Now I can be the manager. Yeah. And that's just how it was back then. So Abigail's letters from this time to John um, show wide knowledge of literature. In fact, she appears to know more than him, although her spelling was atrocious. (laughs) (laughs) She did, like, stretch spelling where it just is, like, phonetically correct. but actually awful but the letters were packed full of references where she freely quoted Rousseau Shakespeare Pope and Edison and people are just shocked at her knowledge it was later said of her for such a mind and will to be born into a woman's body in the 18th century is a tragedy of talent (sighs) Fuck you. <laughs> it's not a tragedy for a woman to be smart in any era. Yeah. Get over yourself. <laughs> uh, you can't separate her from her husband in the revolution era, though. So we're going to dive a little deep into that. There was this stamp act, which came first. And remember, she's living in Boston, which is like the rebel, the rebel colony. It's the, the hub. hub of the rebels. Yeah. So there's this stamp act. This was a slap in the face to the colonists. They were like, oh, you have to pay the British soldiers who are watching you. Uh, So they placed taxes on every piece of paper with an official seal, playing cards, stationery, diplomas from college and high school, shipping receipts. Everything had to have this stamp. This was the straw on the camel's back for Boston. They're hanging fucking effigies of Tax collectors like in the streets in Boston. They're so pissed. And Boston was the place of unrest. And John became a little bit of a rebel rouser. He loved (laughs) to grumble. He loved to be in the bars and the coffee houses being like this is ridiculous, especially because he was like a lawyer of shipping things and he couldn't do his cases because there was no paper trail anymore oh. so he's like now I'm fucking losing money because of you guys he is just hemming
0: and hung all over New England he is okay and now it's
1: 1768 and he's gonna like go and be a part of this like group of men who are gonna work on this new country and Abigail sits him down and she's like are you doing this for glory or for your family Are you doing it for you or for us? As it turns out, his loyalties were to a new country and his wife and his family would always come in second place for the rest of his life. Mm. He's gone. Um, officially, but he moved his family out of Braintree into Boston. And that was good because she had months and months of like visiting her friends and flourishing in the city and taking her kids to the park and just like being the center of city life. And then the British get stationed in the center of Boston and you had to quarter them if they show up. Hello, third amendment. That's why we have it. And they're doing military drills in front of her house. And her husband is an outspoken grumbler. And John was starting to like, get these like, Really big cases as a lawyer of famous people. He's getting Sam Adams off of charges for being a rebel. And then he gets John Hancock off of charges for being a smuggler. And it's like, shit, he's getting all of these people off who are like defying the British. And she's right. horrified for her and her children. So unfortunately, Abigail's dealing with that with her husband. But then she also deals with her two year old daughter, Susanna, who dies at two years old. <sighs> So now, out of the six children that she bore, she's down to four. Mm. In 1770, all hell breaks loose with the Boston Massacre. (sighs) This is how John becomes famous. Really famous. So, the British are there. They're there to guard America, but It's not America yet. They're guarding Britain. It's a British colony. So there's these British guys, relatively young, and these American rebels in Boston start throwing rocks and snowballs at them. This is not the picture we often get. So the American (laughs) rebels are throwing rocks and snowballs and ice at these British guys, and one of the very young British soldiers starts to shoot. Now, I do want to point out the first person he shot was a black man, so it may have been implicit bias. Um, so five people end up dead, five Americans, one black, four white. And it is your own country firing against you at this point because it's the Boston Massacre, but it's a British colony. Right. So the Tory loyalists, which was the party that wanted the British to stay in charge, won't take the case. So John Adams, as an American lawyer, decides he's going to take the case of the British soldiers, and this is a testament to his reputation. People loved him, and they did not get mad at him, and he defended them successfully. What the British soldiers did not go to prison for their crimes because John Adams was such a good lawyer. Wow, in the Boston Massacre case, That's so it's wild. He then, because of that, get gets asked to come. To the Continental Congress with the bigwigs, George Washington, Jefferson, Franklin, the fancy boys, the fancy southern boys. So (laughs) he um, moves his family back to the farmstead. He wants them a little outside of Boston. And it says that Abigail supported him, but she accepted his decision with a flood of tears. He's going to be gone. He goes, and now it's for real him going to this c- continental congress marks him as a traitor. He's not a grumbler anymore.
0: Okay. If he's we a lose traitor. if
1: we lose the war, his head's going to be gone. This oh is it. God. Her husband will die if we lose the war and she knows it and possibly her as well and her children. Abigail, like we <sighs> well, said.
0: And also I want to put I want to point out that that is the burden of being like a woman especially at this time is like He has all this other stuff to worry about. And she's like, yeah, but what about the repercussions for our family? I feel like he is not giving that the time of day right now. Not at all.
1: And he's gone and she's in charge of everything on the farm. She starts investing while she's at the farm. She starts buying acres of really cheap land in case they win the war. (laughs) She starts like grabbing things up. She is a mogul. She buys a whole bunch of war bonds, like just in case they win. And maybe because she had faith in her husband. As a result of being left to manage everything on her own, she starts to question everything in society. Wait, I can do this on my own? I can do the finances? I can raise boys? Now, her boys did go to school, but her confidence began to grow Grow as a strong woman And she even wrote to her nephew, who got to go travel Europe if I had been your sex, I would have been a wanderer.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Then the Boston Tea Party happens. So they put a high tax on tea. So then the British, or so then American colonists are smuggling tea. And then the British decide to make a monopoly so that their tea is cheaper than the smugglers' tea. So the smugglers, as we know, dress up as Native Americans and go and toss the tea in the harbor. But here's the part of the story we always forget. After that, the British put a blockade, a naval blockade around Boston, which is mostly a port city. And what they didn't count on was that the colonies were not individual, but together. The rest of the colonies started shipping Boston goods on land. And the British were like, fuck. uh, We thought... You were all your own little thing, and this is the first time you're uniting as a group. So they definitely pushed Americans over the edge with the tea thing. So this war is happening in her backyard. Her and John Quincy, like, went up on a hill and, like, watched some battles together, which is, like, horrifying, but it's happening right where she is. Right. So, I mean, I'm going to make the war part part. Short. The Constitution's going down. There's fighting over every word. We win the war. The British are gone, mostly. Blah, blah, blah. John is helping write these founding documents while Abigail's at home. But he said in his career to these men, there is a woman to which I owe my politics. And then he would read her letters to these men to consider while they were writing. Which means that George Washington... Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, Benjamin Franklin heard the words of Ad- Abigail Adams and had to take them into account while they were writing these documents. That's so fucking cool. He sat there and read his wife's letters to these <laughs> men.: That's so crazy. I didn't know that. Who like, didn't respect their wives at all. Yeah, and he's just like, "But this is what my wife said, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And he's asking her, what's the mood at home? What's the rumor? What's going down in the houses of Americans? And sh- he'd a- she actually asked him to burn all the letters. She was like, I don't want anybody to ever see these. But he loved her words so much that he kept every single one of them. Ugh. So now John gets sent to France. They were our allies at the time. And they were supposed to be like, we're, he was supposed to negotiate. So he's like one of our early diplomats. And he is just not cool with the people there in France. He's not like Jefferson and Franklin that were like, drugs? Women? Sure. Beaver
0: hats? (laughs) I'm here for it. He
1: was like, oh, my God. I'm a Puritan. This is wild. The cleavage (laughs) is outrageous.
0: So there are cleavage roses everywhere. It's really bad. Is this a renaissance fair or a civilized country? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe both. <laughs> then John goes as
1: the ambassador to Netherlands. And he takes John Quincy with him. And Abigail is so sad to lose her son who's like 11. Oh. And then as soon as big John John senior gets there he sends John Quincy off to Russia to be interpreter for some French guy so now this 11 year olds like by himself what
0: <laughs> and he speaks Russian and French and yeah. English yeah this guy's this kid's crazy yeah. is that why he became president eventually yes <laughs> I, He's great <laughs> he's great I also like I'm picturing just little John Quincy Adams like the United States has not even really been like it's not a thing yet, yet. there's no precedence yet and he will eventually be president and just having all these experiences because now i feel like some people <laughs> the kennedys are groomed <laughs> yeah to be president exactly and it's like no this is your this is your goal yeah nobody even like, knows then like the bush you know like all these like yeah. legacies of like no that's what you're going to do mm-hmm. like That wasn't his thing. He's like, okay, I'll go to Russia. That's fine Mm, with me. Sounds good. Okay, Papa.
1: Uh, So John has gone from Abigail for five years. (gasps) Five years. so
0: long.
1: And letters take forever to get back and forth. And in one of her letters, she very smugly says, I wish your letters were half as long as mine.
0: Oh. Ooh. (laughs) that's (sighs) tired. (sighs) That's Um, like when you send your partner like a very long, well-thought-out test text and they just write back okay sounds good you're (laughs) like what
1: What I spent an hour on that (laughs) I went back and checked my spelling (laughs) Um, I use punctuation (laughs) (laughs) she's also though not signing her letters as Diana anymore she has started signing her letters as Portia Mm. (laughs) which is the merchant of Venus the wife of Brutus and the lawyer like uh, very smart like she is like elevating herself to womanhood here she begs him to come home no 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 he says you have to come here I'm an ambassador to England she doesn't want to go she's scared to get on a boat no male escort but she decides okay I'll come fine if this is what you really want I'll come so she grabs nabby her daughter abby who's now nabby with her as a companion and the two sons she gives to her sister to like let them go to school and like raise them in America. She gets her tickets. She disposes of the farm, figures out somebody who can work there long term. And he keeps writing her letters. Hi, I'm waiting for you. Hi I'm waiting for you. Why aren't you here yet? Why aren't you here yet? And she's like, Bitch, I've been working on this farm by myself for over a decade. Pretty much. And I have to find workers to manage it. I have to make sure our two sons are safe. I've got to, you know, make sure the school's happening. And then i got to get my ass across an ocean on a boat where people don't like women being. Like, <laughs> and you're just, like, begging me to come? Like, s- slow your roll, man. So she finally gets on the boat with her daughter Nabby, and, and the boat is dirty. And, like, the first couple nights, she hates it. Mm. Hates it. So... She goes to the captain on, like, the third night, and she's like, listen, I don't want to, like, overdo your thing, but I'm going to fix this down here. Oh. So she <sighs> makes the charger, the sailors into a cleaning crew. Oh. She makes them fix <laughs> the ship. She taught them how to cook in the kitchen. She was the boss of a farm for over a decade. She she's like, snow-whited them. I, yeah, Whistle while you work. Literally, (laughs) like, don't sweep it under the rug, you idiot. I
0: love when she gets so mad at, like, the squirrels (laughs) for doing that. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? And like, what? Also, side note really quick. There's been a fox in my backyard, and I finally saw it the other day. Allie, this fox was bigger than Stella. A red fox? I saw a fox that big the other day. Is it the same fox? Probably. He's just traveling all over the place. (sighs) It's a horse. I I thought it was a deer when I first saw it. And then I was like, shit, that's a fox.
1: I thought we had a large stray dog in our yard. Yeah.
0: It's. I didn't think that foxes, especially like city foxes, got that big.
1: Apparently, foxes are thriving in 2020. The fox-
0: <laughs> foxes are only having a good time this year, and mm-hmm. they sound like women being murdered. They if, do. If, when you, they, yeah. if you really still want to know what the f- hell the fox says or whatever, it sounds like a woman being murdered. That's it's what really it horrifying like. when you I've hear it. almost called the police multiple times because I hear the fox in the backyard, and I finally saw it. It's
1: massively I upsetting. I just want to
0: say that because.
1: If you don't know, now um, you know.
0: Even though I live in the city, I still have quote unquote country problems. So I could be a country music star if I really wanted to.
1: I mean, you and Taylor Swift.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no problems. All cardigans. No, <laughs> no problems, just cardigans. Um,
1: <laughs> That's my next album. Uh, so, of course, Abigail gets to Europe. And culture shock happens all over again. Ugh. She found Paris to be way too much for her. They're too indulgent. They're too snooty. She's overwhelmed by the large fancy houses and the servants and the clothes. And is appalled by how much time it takes for makeup and hair and blah, 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 blah. In Europe, women also were not well thought of. So John had to kept being like, girl, Wait your tongue, ma'am. Like, you can't say that here. And she went on record as saying she liked her hens and chickens back in America much more than she liked <laughs> the Europeans. <laughs> However, as months passed, she began to enjoy herself and made friends and developed a fondness for theater. In contrast to Paris, Abigail never grew accustomed to London. Oh. <laughs> she made very few friends there and got the cold shoulder by polite society. One bright spot at that point, though, was that she was the temporary guardian for Thomas Jefferson's young daughter, Polly, because his wife had died and she loved Polly dearly. Mm -hmm. At this point, John and Thomas were still frenemies. That breaks in a little bit, but then it gets better again soon. Okay. When they get back to the States, the kids, her other sons are all grown up. She like missed their childhood pretty much. And she begins cleaning and remodeling her house to be more European. Mm. (laughs) Abigail was the first second lady of the United States. So John Adams is the first vice president. Okay. So she became very close and learned from Martha Washington. But Martha was a military wife and was involved in the revolution while Abigail was off On a farm. And she had to deal with taxation and inflation and shortages of labor and running tight on a budget and sustaining all the Adamses without going into debt. But Martha paved the way for American first ladies she set precedent on what it means to be a first lady you have to be a symbolic person for the nation you have to have a weekly reception dinner at our capital in New York you have to figure out the appropriate amount of power the first lady should have and how she should meet as a dignitary of the United States John as a vice president felt ridiculous he had less power than Martha Washington he was like the (laughs) vice president does nothing this is beneath me and he just hated it, and he could not practice law. Most of these men were doing this job and making money off of their farms at home. John had no slaves. He had no income. He had nothing when he gave his life up to be in politics. Oh, my God. He gave up everything and had no income from the law business. So he's getting a little bit for being a politician, but... Not what he would have been making. Not what he would have been making. Right. He had to find pay to get them a house in New York. And he had to, like, have an expected level of diplomacy as the vice president. And Abigail had to, like, have people over for dinner. But they didn't have the money that the Washingtons have. And it was just so intimidating to her. Then John Adams gets elected as the second president of the United States beating Thomas Jefferson by just, like, three votes. Oh, my God. And Abigail was, like, not even at her husband's inauguration because her mother-in-law was dying, and she's, like, (gasps) tending to her mother-in-law while her husband is becoming president of the United States. So Abigail, though, had to keep up what Martha was doing, but without the slave money. Of the first five presidents, John Adams is the only one not from Virginia. And he is the only one... Without slaves. That's incredible. The I only one. I didn't know that. And then his son is the sixth president. Also not from Virginia. Also without slaves. Wow. The last president to have slaves was Zachary Taylor. That was like the 13th. And to give you perspective... um, Abe Lincoln was the 16th. Yeah. So it went on for a while. Oh, sweet 16. Seriously. Adams also though like... <laughs> He thought it was a foregone conclusion that he would be president. So, like, I don't want to paint them as perfect. He thought the vice president should always then be president. And it's like, okay, but, like, that disregards the idea of democracy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Abigail did keep holding a large dinner each week. She She made frequent public appearances, and she would have a big event in Philadelphia every year for the 4th of July. Here was her schedule. She'd get up at dawn. She would meet. With her family and other famous families until 11. From 11 until mid-afternoon, she would receive the public. And then in the evenings, she would like speak at events. And then she would hold, like I said, one dinner each week. Unlike Martha Washington, though, she took an active role in politics and policy. And uh, she was so active that people started to call her in the press, very meanly, Mrs. President. First one to be called that she was a (laughs) proto-feminist it only
0: took two
1: (laughs) only took two for a woman to have too much power she was a proto-feminist and people saw her as too influential over her husband which i personally believe is why he only lasted for four years yeah instead of eight did
0: george washington do eight yes okay and
1: then so did the like couple presidents after him like john adams was the early four okay um You know, he was a small-time farm boy and relied on his first lady for advice to how to deal with social culture. She was involved, she was informed, and she was opinionated.
0: Well, because also, like, shocking. Sometimes it's really crucial to get a second opinion on things, especially from your partner. what? (laughs) I just, like, I hate the idea that they're like, No, you should never, ever get a women's perspective, even though they are 50 percent of the population. It's funny
1: because I've also done Hillary Clinton and um, Eleanor Roosevelt and Michelle Obama. But Hillary Clinton and Eleanor Roosevelt specifically were criticized for being too opinionated. Yeah. In their role as first lady. Yeah. And she was the first. She's the original too opinionated, (laughs) which I like. Um, so Abigail was often well informed on issues facing her husband's administration, which we find in her letters to her sister and her sons. She was his PR rep. She would sometimes plant favorable articles in the newspaper about her husband
0: that that she would write (laughs) so sneaky,
1: a super sneaky. And she was like a staunch supporter of her husband and his politics. And I honestly believe it's because his politics were her opinion. (laughs) Yeah, she would take anything people said bad about him as a personal attack and they made a lot of caricatures in the press of him and she hated it but she would read both Republican and Federalist newspapers at the time and you know up to and including his fall from fame which is the alien and seclusion acts which we need to talk about this is why I think he didn't get elected for a second term and I think Abigail had a lot to do with it they had a the Alien and Sedition Acts were pretty much four principles that got rid of immigration to oh. the United States and and created censorship. Whoa. And I think she did this out of fear. So it wasn't like we hate immigration like we hate it. It was like we got to get the British people out of here. And we know that's true because the War of 1812 happened where they tried to take us over again. And then she was really worried about the French because she had just been there. And she's like, they're fucking beheading people we do not want people to turn on you and cut your head off they just killed the wife of the king for nothing so she's like we gotta get rid of the british because they're gonna start a war we gotta get rid of the french because they're gonna behead us and this is really scary and i don't know what to do um And then she's like, well, you know, all those like political cartoons in France where they made like Marie Antoinette look like she's riding a penis. We got to make sure the newspaper can't do that to us. We have to censor the newspaper like they can't do that to us. She's horrified of what happened in France because she just left there. She saw it firsthand. She knows what's happening and she's scared for herself and her children.
0: It just sucks because like the repercussions of all of this are so... So bad. So bad.
1: It's really, really bad. And it's why he doesn't get elected again, even though he was like the only president without slaves. They were like, but we don't like immigrants. You know, it was, it's like the big mark on her. Like you cannot do or say that.
0: No, no. not cool. Abigail. She, hmm. it sucks because like, I've been so on board with her the whole time. And like, I don't want to say that like, this isn't like her fault because like she has she's hmm, I don't know it just it really fucking sucks as I understand her fears but like that's the whole reason we are in the position that we're in now is people's unfounded fears exactly and them exaggerating them and then making policies and decisions that affect negatively affect other people because you're afraid of this thing that Will not happen. Frankly,
1: Exactly. And I think. I I think she was overreacting. To the French situation. Which. To be fair. The French situation. Did end up with Napoleon. So like. It is something to be scared of. That somebody could. You could keep. Beheading leader. After leader. After leader. Until you end up with a tyrant. Like. That is scary. But at the same time. It's not fair. To have these. Unfounded fears. Of people you don't know. Just because they're from. A different place. Yeah. Um.
0: And you were there for a little bit like a (laughs) a teeny tiny bit. We can't have them over here. They'll bring really weird cheese and I don't (laughs) like it. I don't want their baguettes. I like a hard cheddar and that's it. (laughs) Shredded, please.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She was, however, the first first lady to live in the White House. It was not completely built yet um, and she would hang her laundry in the East Room Washington, D.C., she said, was the wilderness, but it was beautiful and at least habitable. <laughs> After John's defeat for his presidential reelection campaign, the family retired to Massachusetts. And I want to be very clear. Thomas and John ran against each other. Mm-hmm. And if we think mudslinging is bad now, Thomas Jefferson published in the newspaper that John Adams was dead to make sure he didn't <laughs> get votes. That fucking happened, Katie. Uh, John Adams lost the presidency because people thought he was dead.
0: <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> That is so crazy. When people are like,
1: this is not what our country was founded on. I'm like, yeah, well.
0: Yeah. People (laughs) have been people have been being insane for a long time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So after that, Abigail followed her son's career in letters and all the contemporaries see that in her. She loved the fact that her son was going to be next. And then even though Thomas and her husband were fighting, when Thomas Jefferson's daughter died that she had helped raise, she reached out to him in correspondence and they all became friends. Again. Oh, that's nice. It really is. She also raised several of her grandchildren with their parents when they were struggling. She nursed her daughter when her daughter got breast cancer and was in pain for three Mm -hmm. years. And They moved into this house in Peacefield, Massachusetts, that you can still visit today, and the end of her life was beautiful. Her grandkids were living with her and near her. They would run to her house in the morning. Her kids were there regularly. She was never lonesome, and she even wrote letters about how she was a much worse grandmother than a mother because she spoiled them all the time. (laughs) But if you're listening to this story and you think I missed something, that means you know who Abigail Adams is. Because I'm going to talk about her most famous thing right now. She did the biggest, like, aid for women at that point in history. Abigail regularly wrote about the troubles with women and how she was concerned about 18th century women. And she advocated for married women to get property and rights and more (gasps) opportunities for women in education. But... Her most famous thing was in a letter that she wrote in March of 1776, the year of the Declaration of Independence. I saved it till close to last because it's so important. She wrote this to her husband in a wonderful letter like, dear John, blah, blah, blah. I miss you. I love you. And I beg you, quote, remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not push such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands remember all men would be tyrants if they could if particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any law in which we have no voice or representation Wow, she was not there for it during this time because she was in europe at some of it she held regular correspondence with Mary Wollstonecraft. <gasps> <What? laughs> so they wrote back and forth a lot. Abigail also became a strong abolitionist and believed that slavery was morally wrong. Also in 1776, she doubted in a letter that the Virginians had, quote, such a passion for liberty as they claimed they did since they deprived their fellow citizens of freedom. Damn, damn. Uh, A notable incident in 1791 was when a free young black man came to her house asking to be taught how to write. She paid for and placed the boy in a local evening school, much to the objection of the neighbors. Abigail's response was, as a free man, as much as any young man, and merely because his face is black, is he to be denied instruction? How is he to be qualified to procure a livelihood? I have not thought it any disgrace for myself to take him into my parlor and teach him to read and write. She wow. is like, fuck you guys, teach this kid. Oof. There are over 1,200 letters in the treasury between John and Abigail, and she was an incredibly strong letter writer. Like I said earlier, in March 2008, HBO did a great miniseries on her life, and Laura Linney played her and was like, this girl had passion and principle. Abigail Adams had a coin released in 2007, and it sold out within hours. On the front, it's a picture of her, and on the back, it said, Remember the Ladies. Mm, I love that. (laughs) Abigail ended up getting typhoid fever at 74, and it was a sudden death. She was horrified she wouldn't be able to see her family again, but they all rushed to her. She even cried days before her death. I'm never going to see John Quincy again. I'm never going to see him, but he showed up. They had been married fifty four years. Oh my god. Thousands of letters survived, and on October twenty eighth, eighteen eighty eight, her final words were Do not grieve, my friend, my dearest friend. I'm ready to go. And John, it will not be long. Her obituary described her intelligence to the country. She was the first second lady, the first wife of an ambassador to Britain, the second first lady. And she was considered the perfect Puritan with purpose, piety, education, diligence, and frugalness. Abigail left a wealth of primary documents. Her clear voice helped us to see her as a popular figure. She talked about politics, emotion, and personal stress. She is one of only two women, like we said, like Barbara Bush, who is a super monarch, being both wife and mother of the president. And Abigail it was not a tragedy for a brain like yours to be born in the 1700s. Mm.
0: And that's the story of Abigail Adams. That was wild. Can you even believe she did all that? No. That was so fun. I just like also to. Mm. I feel like you know how they say that in the Olympics, like the bronze medalist is happier than the silver medalist. Yeah. I feel that way with her being the second first lady. And I feel like she was just like, she's so often overlooked. And I just, I don't know. I just didn't know anything about her. Yo, so that was really exciting.
1: Fucking remember the ladies. I love that. That letter could have ah. been read out loud by John Adams to the boys. The boys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> remember the ladies, boys. It is um, <laughs> it, that I, I don't know.
1: It's so absurd to me that like she had such a candor with her husband which was so rare
0: back then and beautiful just the the power she felt to speak up was unheard of
1: and I mean a credence to her mother her father her uncle her grandfather to John for being like I'll bring you books when we're teenagers that's cool
0: like well because that was an early sign of him being like I respect you I'm not just here to have a wife I'm here to have a partner right and I'm going to show that to you via the gifts I get you exactly because he didn't get her like a pot (laughs) he wasn't like you're gonna make a great cook he was like no you have a great mind and I'm gonna foster that
1: yeah and then you can run my entire you can be my business director Yeah, exactly you're the director of finance for my farm Mm. thanks thanks girl so I think we need to compare these women. There's some really cool things we need to talk about. There really
0: are. Um. So we're going to talk about these two ladies in a little segment we like to call Just, Just the Two of Us. Wow. Okay.
1: I mean, they both, in their stories, left kids to cross the ocean. Like, I, it was Olive's parents, but then yeah. Abigail and John did that to their kids. It was like, there's a greater purpose
0: here. Um, and we
1: need to find it.
0: No, absolutely. And it's kind of... I feel like some people might see it as, like, an abandoning of a generation, but they're like, no, we're investing in the next generation. Like, we are making this huge leap, this huge leap. The children are (laughs) our future. We've been
1: doing some great singing tonight. We have been.
0: (laughs) Um, And I think that it's more of a, like, a investment. Like, the thing about them is they were both, both, (laughs) they were both investing in the future and I think that that is the very cool part of it is they're like I'm gonna leave you for a little bit but don't worry it'll be worth it like not afraid to take that chance because sometimes like parents might be a little too cautious and like unfortunately they were both in times where like her parents probably did make all his parents probably did make the right decisions like let's see the vibe and then we'll come for you. Let's head first. Yeah, let's head first. I mean, the vibe still wasn't great. There mm-hmm. was a ton of racism, but they were like, no, but we got jobs. We'll make it work like yeah. we are going to make this a dream that we have work for our children. I'm really interested to hear what you think about the
1: comparison between like citizen versus colony because they Mm -hmm. both dealt with that and the alien and sedition acts like being treated differently because you're from a foreign country.
0: I know. I was just thinking that whereas like you have kind of the antithesis of who was kind of driving what was happening to Olive in Abigail with all these unfounded fears. Right. You know what I'm saying which is an unfortunate part of Abigail's story because I felt like she was on such a role and then this thing happened um, But you also have to take it... Like, it's just... it's The weird be- layers are so strange of like... Yeah, but like you... Like, Abigail Adams was the child of a people colonist. that came over. They were running. The Puritans were running. So you have these people that are of the generation of what Great Britain did over the course of, I mean, hundreds of years. So you have the repercussions reverberating through predominantly the stories of women. Because then you have Abigail Adams. She was able to consider herself an American because American did thrive. Because I feel like, again, like we're talking about investments. America was more of like an investment on the British part. Whereas Jamaica was a cash cow. So oh, like yeah. we can do sugar plantations, we can do coffee plantations, like cash tea crops, plantations, we can get whatever. whatever. We can Bantho. we can suck that country dry. And that's why the identity of like a, a colonist in you know, the colonies in the US mm-hmm. or I, I don't know what the proper way to say that is, you know, like those people And then the people that were living in Jamaica and being colonized, their experience is so vastly different because one was an investment and one was a drain.
1: Right. And one was like, oh, you're the you're the children of the white people who came here over versus you are the slaves we were using for a while.
0: Right. Because that's another like major, major difference in their stories is one was a come-upon culture. It's like, oh, we came upon you and colonized you. And we're going to use and you. And we're going to use you. Um, Whereas Abigail Adams did benefit from this thing of like, well, we're coming over to start a new life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like their experience as British colonies was so vastly different. And it's insane that they were so far apart because it just shows how long Great Britain was fucking doing this. And it's like... Who what how did it go on for that long and how did it turn into this like i it's
1: even crazy because like a lot of Europe outlawed slavery before the United States yeah so but that you, when you outlaw slavery it doesn't outlaw racism because you can't do that you've already yeah. inbred it into people by teaching them yeah but i thought olive and Abigail both had a moment that was like, I have something to do now. Yes. They both had this one moment where it was like, and I think Olives was like, you know what? I don't need to be in school. I saw this person be like beat up on the street and that's not cool. And I don't like the way I'm being treated in the Black Panthers. So you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to start a thing yeah. and I'm going to make my thing a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that Abigail Adams had that same moment. She's at home running the farm and she wakes up one day and she's just like, Wait, I've been doing this by myself for over a year. I'm a fucking hero. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a hero of women. I like and and not only me, but this is what all women do. So maybe if I ask my husband to bring this up, other people will get it. Yeah. But the problem is he was talking to a room full of Virginians who had slaves running their farms. Their wives weren't running their farms. He was the only one who got it.
0: Well, and it's kind of like that whole um picture that people post of like you think this is an equal society and then it's you know like some people picking an apple tree and then you know it's like one person has a ladder and the other person is just on the ground and like the apples are there just pick them and it's like yeah but you gave that person a fucking ladder you know and it's like that's not that's not equal right and that's the whole fucking thing here I Totally lost my train of thought. But you know what I'm saying? It's like they're thinking it's equal, but it's actually just totally not. Yeah. And I, I even love the idea of,
1: like, refugees versus, like, quartering yeah. like soldiers. Um, I, I thought it was cool that it was, like, you know – in, in Britain, they were like, no, we don't want to, like, hold these refugees. Like, we don't want to help them. We don't want to save them. We don't yeah. want them, like, in our houses. We don't want the... And they aren't even, quote-unquote, refugees. They just immigrated there because they were asked to come there, and yeah. now they have to squat. Yeah. And with Abigail Adams, she's just like, these British people are forcing themselves into our houses because they have nowhere to sleep, and then it ends up in our Constitution. It's in the bill of rights that you can't as a soldier force your way into a person's house yeah and it's like I thought that parallel was very weird because it was again the same story from a different
0: angle yeah well and I wrote down it's like problems in the past manifesting in the present because we haven't solved the root problem which is racism and fear-mongering of like the people in charge right and that's the root problem the like the the I feel like the root problems in society are like fear and greed, like yeah. <laughs> people wanting more and then fostering people who have less is fear of others so they can have more, you know what I'm saying, yeah, and uh, I just I feel like we're just seeing the causes and the repercussions, and we're Looking at both sides of these very specific situations. Well, and
1: Abigail had a place at the table. That's the biggest difference. Yeah. As a white woman in the colonies married to a very prominent lawyer, she had a place at the table that Olive did not have as a teenager attempting to tell the police they're doing something wrong.
0: No, absolutely. And I feel like one of the quotes that you said, like one of her family members made about Abigail, fits both of them so well. When he was like, You will either be a very good woman or a very bad woman. And I think that you could read both of them as good or bad, depending on what you see. You know, if you're like, No, squatters are terrible. Like, if you're poor, it's your fucking fault. So, like, you don't deserve housing. And then you see Olive as a terrible criminal. And, like, you could see Abigail as like too outspoken, you know, not knowing her place. And like, that's how a lot of people saw her, unfortunately. And you could just read them so differently based on what you want to see.
1: Well, I also thought that they both gave a wonderful story of what you can do without racism. Yeah. So Olive yeah. was like, you can house people. You can house people without racism and you can turn it into something profitable and nice and wonderful. And Abigail Adams was saying the same thing about the White House. You don't need this money of this farm back home. We have nothing and we're doing exactly what you did.
0: And on that same coin, you have Olive also being like, racism isn't just to me and my race. I'm going to bring other people into it, too. And also kind of expanding, like... We need to talk about what's happening to other women because both of them, I feel like their end credo was like, remember the ladies because Abigail was like, remember that women are a part of this. And Olive was saying the same fucking thing. She's like, remember that women experience racism and sexism at the same time. It's all encompassing. And like, even though. That woman is from India. She's experiencing some similar shit to me because she is othered. And we need to remember the ladies, remember that they experience things differently, and include them in these conversations because their input is valued. Yeah.
1: it's. I mean, it's crazy. And and how the situation has continually been furthered is... I, I I mean, the progress has been limited. Yeah. Because I it mean it has been
0: absolutely limited because the people in charge are still benefiting from this fucked up system. And if people are making money off of the system, they are not in any rush to change it.
1: No. And I mean, we know that the president following John Adams was Thomas Jefferson, whose wife had passed, which made him our first bachelor president. But we know <laughs> Sally Hemings was actually the first lady. Yeah. And it's. A tragedy that what happened to her and that she was pretty much sold into sex slavery and then her daughter was sold into sex slavery furthermore, furthermore, furthermore. Like, Uh, yeah, I mean, you can just you can trace the horrible abuse of women and colored people
0: throughout British colonies all over the world. And then you have people nowadays being like, well, do they have to be that angry? And you're like, yeah, they fucking should be. Oh, my God. Like- really? <laughs> well, are you ready to toast? I am ready to toast. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So...
1: I really, I felt, empow- I do, I felt and I feel empowered by Abigail Adams because she's a woman who held a very traditional role as wife and mother. And I feel that I do that as like wife, mother, teacher. It's like, that's your thing. You're a woman. Those are things women do. But I also am like so respectful of seeing open acknowledgement of their dialogue. It mm. gives me great pleasure to know it existed and it does exist now there are men in power who are terrible and I think that their wives are saying something about it yeah I think they are I hope so I I hope so too and my toast is to them your husband's in power I hope that you're saying things yeah or at least
0: withholding sex cheers (laughs) Katie who do you have to say? him talk about I mean I'm going to toast the women who are gone too soon. I feel like Olive's story came to such a screeching halt that it made me so sad because she was just like we talked last week about women fucking grinding. And I feel like that's what she was doing. She was not only, you know, like she was fighting for, you know, houseless people and people who needed a place to live and be. And she wasn't just like, well, I have a house, but I'm still on your side. She's like, no, I'm going to squat with you. Like, I am a person in this fight. She was just as much a part of the things that she was fighting for as she wasn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just and I feel like she could have done so much. And she aside from the stuff that she did, which was incredible. So gone too soon. I just want to tell women who are gone too soon. Mm, Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. All right, Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay,
1: do you know who the author Glennon Doyle is? Sounds familiar. Okay, so she's written, like, a lot of books, and I just think it's been a... I'm reading Untamed right now, which is Mm -hmm. her most recent book. It's been a really interesting progression for me as, like, somebody who was born and raised, like, a Christian. So, like, her first book was about her great marriage, and then her next book was about how her husband cheated on her, and they Mm -hmm. came back together. And now this third book, Untamed is her realizing she's a lesbian. (gasps) Whoa. And like she left her husband and like is raising her three kids and married this woman. And like it is. So I haven't read the other two. I just know about them. And like, because she was like a Christian author who like did it and like made it through. And she practically ruined her career. Her family, her life to like be with the woman she loves. That's incredible. And it's a really cool book. Ah. Um, so, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, it's worth it. It's really empowering as a straight woman, as a non straight woman, as a mother, as a non mother. Like, it tells just different pieces of stories from throughout her life that are worth hearing. It's mm, incredible. Yeah. It's a really cool story. All right. And it's on Audible if you go to. There we go. Cursory Trials. Trial.
0: Dot com slash oh, no. audible, audible trial. trial, audible trial dot <laughs> com slash herstory. And you can get a free audiobook using that code. Free. So, I mean, free. Get untamed for free. Get untamed for free by using audible trial dot com slash herstory. What do you have to the show? How do you what do you have to do? I'm going to promote an NPR podcast called Life Kit. So I've only listened to like a couple episodes because you don't really have to listen to all of them you can really pick and choose and I do like that in a podcast <laughs> <laughs> especially one like this so they even have like different kind of factions so they are, there's one life kit stream and then they've also broken it up so they release the different episodes in different ones so right. I listen to a lot of like the health ones and they have a couple episodes on like This is what happens to your body when, like, you go on a diet, when you exercise, when you eat this, when you eat that. And, like, just them, like, they did a whole one on weight loss. And it was so fascinating because they're like, you're like, they kind of broke it down biologically. And they're like, if you're frustrated because, like, you are not accomplishing your like weight loss goal it's because your body doesn't want you to because when you start to lose weight your body flips out and does everything it can to make your body not do that Give me chocolate. <laughs> yeah. and the way they kind of break it down biologically is like really fascinating and they have it for all sorts of things and they have some, like a thing with like if you're having trouble sleeping like these are methods that like the top sleep people do and very cool they always have like they do the episode they're not very long and then they have a roundup at the end so in case you like forgot what the first thing they said was they're like here are the five things you need to know about this episode (laughs) this 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 and this and this yeah we need that like it's so (laughs) convenient and then they give you a bonus tip which is where I found out that like so I've been in some cars that have not been mine and I have not known where the gas tank was and oh, I was like know, the thing on the side there is yeah. an arrow yeah. on the dashboard next to the little gas thing that says which side the gas tank is on and it blew my mind I couldn't believe it so I would just like to recommend that show it's a real like you can just pick and choose what you want to listen to and they have some really interesting episodes yeah. so life kit from NPR
1: that sounds great it was great so Listen, guys, Listen. Our, our patrons, <laughs> you just all of our patrons just got a gift in the mail. We hope you enjoyed it. We're so excited. If you did, if you don't want to be a patron because we which we understand because that's expensive, you can also just give us a five star review and oh. say something. Two words. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Any words um, would be lovely. And it's the most important thing. It helps podcasts more than anything else. Actually, if you rate and review them, it really does and it's entirely free Some, and you can do it as yeah. many times as you want.
0: <laughs> you can do that with, uh, no money. And it, Boosts our algorithm somehow in some way yeah so
1: if somebody searches for the words abigail adams ours automatically gets bumped up the list because we got the more ratings the more ratings and reviews that happen oh it's so great
0: um so thank
1: you to everybody who's uh, done that it's beautiful thank Thank you to our patreon patrons you can find us on youtube you can find us on linkedin you can find us on twitter and instagram and facebook and we have a today in history every single day so that even when we're not talking about women there are more women's names being said in public
0: put into the algorithm and uh, most of all we want you to never forget that well-behaved women eat plain oatmeal uh, they do what a horrible thing um, <laughs> and they rarely make history bye-bye Goodbye. <laughs>